Let's go. Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey team, Oliver here. This week I interview Mark Fronmeyer from Arkimoto. Mark has been on this podcast before and I'm sure is familiar to many of you. We covered him and what they're building, Arkimoto, on episodes 46 and 111, which I'd encourage you to go check out if you haven't already. It was great to have him back on to discuss the latest progress with the vehicles that they're building, like the FUV, and where they've got to with future vehicles, like the Mean Lean Machine. We get into the revisions to the platform they've made for manufacturing with one of my industry favorites, Sandy Monroe, as well as the various variants that they're developing. It's a great update from Mark and one that I am very happy to share with you all. In the meantime, I wanted to personally invite you to come and join us in Amsterdam for Micromobility Europe on June 1st and 2nd. We're expecting nearly a thousand attendees from hundreds of companies representing the cutting edge of lightweight electric vehicles, including some companies that are in stealth, but who have shown me their wares and which I cannot wait to have on the podcast as well as teams from a whole host of incredible companies like Van Mouth, Tia, Trigo, Segway, Dance, Ubco, and more. It will be awesome. Get your tickets at micromobility.io, and I look forward to seeing you there. Finally, before we dig into the content, I want to thank our sponsor for the episode, Joyride. Joyride's SaaS platform powers every point of the micromobility journey, from vehicle selection to turnkey software to extensive resources. As one of the world's first micromobility platforms, Joyride shared mobility customers span more than 200 global markets and thousands of multimodal vehicles. These micromobility operators, no matter their size, are on a fast-tracked road to profitability with Joyride's low-cost operating platform, exclusive hardware deals, and industry handholding through obstacles like insurance, RFP writing, and data compliance. And now, the Joyride team is taking their micromobility know-how on the road to host the first ever Joyride Academy experience. This one-of-a-kind hands-on workshop is made entirely for micromobility operators and will be held on June 1st as part of Micromobility Europe. They'll be covering financing, advanced operational efficiencies, data-driven insurance, and hosting a fireside chat with what some of the industry's biggest players. If you're managing or thinking of managing a micromobility fleet, this is the place to be on June 1st. The best part? The Joyride Academy experience is completely free to Micromobility Europe ticket holders. So register today and head over to our blog to see how to sign up for the workshop before spaces fill up. And with that, here is Mark. Let's go. Welcome to the Micromobility Podcast. Mark from my, how are you today, Mark? Oliver Bruce, I'm doing very well. How about yourself? I'm doing very well too. I'm doing very well too. I'm very excited for this chat. We haven't talked for ages and I have been following what you've been doing from afar and I'm very excited to unpack that today. So look, I mean, I, I'm going to assume most people have a decent base level of knowledge about what you're doing at Akimoto, but for those who are kind of completely new to this. I'm not sure we're quite yet a global household brand, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, in the nerd world of micromobility, you you are certainly one of the companies that I think a lot of us have been following, but I would love to have you just sort of take us through Arkimoto. What are you trying to do? 
How long have you been yeah. around that sort of thing? Well, so I actually started this in 2007. So we've been around for 14 years, grinded up startup vehicle company. But the idea from the start, we've really maintained the same basic notion all along, which is that the way that we transport ourselves today is totally nuts. We drive typically giant cars, and I know it's different in different spots of the world, but in many places, big cars that weigh thousands and thousands of pounds by ourselves to go get a cup of coffee or something like that. And when you multiply that over capacity times everybody, you end up with you know, just the concrete wastelands of big cities and gridlock and the most pressing problem that we face in terms of climate change and the habitability of our planet and ecological destruction. So the thought was, if you right-size the footprint to a more human scale form factor that is electric, that's super fun, that has it kind of ticks all the boxes for what you need a daily runabout to do, yeah. that there'd be an opportunity to shift that pattern. And what we have landed on is really a, a new vehicle platform that is a really optimized for a huge range of everyday trips. So it's three wheels, two in front, one in back, kind of. And, and again, to the original concept, it's like there's this gap between the bike and the car in the world, in the market. And we think that three-wheeled gap is where the future of transportation, the real sweet spot of it is. So the platform that we've got is, you know, two wheels in front, one wheel in back, you sit in line. So again, keeping the mass to the center line, the battery is below you, the drivetrain's in front. So it's a dual motor front wheel drive. It's a, just a, it's a really well ballasted platform for small scale mobility. It sort of like gives you a bigger ride than the vehicle, if that makes any sense. Yep. And yep. in addition to being a, a good ride, it can comfortably sit two big adults or one adult and other stuff. Like our deliverator gets rid of the second seat. Now you've got a delivery vehicle. Uh, the flatbed mm -hmm. is sort of our version of a pickup truck. The platform is really the product. I mean, that's yeah. it's one platform that can be differentiated to meet lots of different consumer needs in the, people call it the last mile, but you, it's really more like the first mile or the first yeah. 10 miles. It's your first leg of the trip, or if you're going nearby, it's, it's the only thing you use. So we spent like seven years just getting to that idea, that really the right idea of that platform. And then of course, built the looks like, works like prototypes, launched a product, went public, built out our first production facility. And then over the last couple of years, of course, we've seen big interest in electric vehicles. And we have just now recently opened our new production facility, which is called a ramp, where we aim to eventually produce at mass production levels. We're targeting that facility to be able to build 50,000 FUV platform vehicles per year at maximum output, which we think is going to land in 2025. Awesome. So for folks who are kind of just joining now, there has been a very recent production presentation that you did. The ribbon cutting on building A, our new facility. It was great. And it was really cool as well because you, you used the opportunity to t kind of talk about, obviously, yes, we're, you're just heading into production and what that's going to mean. But also the kind of the wider conversation about like why is this why does this matter why do we want to be doing this as well and and certainly from our side like as micro mobility enthusiasts I think the reason I have found what you're trying to do compelling has been I really fundamentally believe that there's this whole 
classification of vehicles of sort of sub 500 or sub 600 kgs that isn't addressed in a car you cannot get a four-wheeler to be able to do this just because if it's doing that then it's a it's effectively a car you have to have all the safety regulations and everything else that will make it challenging to be able to build a vehicle that light and yet there's so much opportunity space for vehicles that are able to exist in that space you've kind of cited a couple of them which is the you know the deliberator and things i would love to hear about that variant because as you say the fuv is the platform is the product because you've now got an autonomous play you've got obviously the flatbed you've got folks from australia down here down my way trying to use it for for postal deliveries when you started out is that what you thought was going to end up happening or did you think you'd build the vehicle and it was just going to be you know, commuter vehicle. Specifically the delivery vehicle. I could shoot you some of the first sketches of the generation eight platform design that eventually became the FUV. Delivery was in that from the very beginning. We always wanted to do at least one, you know, work vehicle and one consumer vehicle. Yep. Yep. A lot of the other variants have come about actually as from feedback that we've gotten from potential customers. So the flatbed the city of Orlando said, you know, what we'd really like is uh, we don't want the delivery box. We want a flatbed so we can, just as an aside, I'm in Santa Monica at the moment and walking by somebody power washing the streets and you've got this giant pickup truck with a little thing of water and a power washer running a generator to power a power washer off of a gas vehicle. And it's just that whole thing could be done with none of the tailpipe emissions and tiny fraction of the cost with an Arkhamoto vehicle that's got a flatbed and a hose and a power connection into the battery. And that's really a piece of it that just goes, okay, this is for all of these different things, but it's all mm. one thing. Mm. And how does it work within the company? So you obviously have the production that you do yourselves. Would you literally give them the chassis or are they coming in and saying like, there's a selection process for a partner or I don't actually know how that part works. If well, today we've got just one partner on the platform external to the company, which is a company called Faction down in the Bay Area. So when you, you mentioned autonomous, we have always intended the Arkhamoto platform to be an autonomous capable platform. That's been a design goal from day one, but we are not actually developing the sensors and software to drive a vehicle. We're sort of like, okay, here's what we build and we want to learn what you guys need to make that better for your uses and make sure that as we're planning for scale, that we can fold in those capabilities. The actual autonomous development work is happening at another venture and, and ultimately we think this is a platform that could work for a lot of different autonomy plays. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Look, one of the things that I've been most excited about when you were doing your, your ramp up presentation was the conversation about sort of the V2 of the FUV. I don't know if it's V2 or V8. We, we, call it, we call it 1.X. 1.X is really, it's like the 1.2 of every part of the vehicle. Right. Yep. It's, it's the saying because the pattern is already really, really good. There are things that we wanted to improve about based on things we've learned from vehicles in the field. Can we tweak ergonomics? Can we tweak this? Can we tweak that? In addition to the main thrust of it, which is to make the vehicle be able to be manufactured at higher volume at lower cost. Yeah. And that's just a substantial engineering undertaking to drive down complexity and cost of the platform. Well, as I understand it, Sandy Monroe, who I'm a giant fan of, and anybody who's listened to Horace will know that Horace has been a big fan of Sandy for many years, ever since he did the breakdown of the i3. I've been a Sandy fan for a long time, and certainly I feel like he has much to teach. 
He does. I've really loved since the pandemic has hit, he's got this Monroe Live and I became a Patreon supporter just because I was like, this is like the best engineering lectures you could ever receive. And it's for free on the internet. <laughs> yeah, one of the things he did is he's got a hearts and minds presentation that kind of kicks off the collaboration and it's their IP, so we can't show it. But I was like, guys, this needs to be a masterclass for engineers. Yeah. Yeah, it should be absolutely a masterclass. So they've been engaged for you. Maybe give that context for folks who, Sandy, as, as I understand it, maybe you can correct me here, but he's a reverse engineering kind of specialist. They do both product benchmarking is what they call it, but yeah, reverse engineer, teardowns, look at cost, all that kind of stuff. And then they also do product development and design. And we've leveraged their help on both of those fronts, which is to you know kind of look at what we got, what are your thoughts, and then what are the changes that we can make to make it more producible, simpler, all, all of those pieces to aim for higher scale. And then also, what does it look like on the other side of that in terms of what level of automation do we need in the assembly line, in the, what are the parts and materials made of, and so on and so forth. So for the things that are really nuts and bolts, wheels and tires and everything in between in terms of the vehicle portion of it, they've been enormously helpful. And that, as far as I can tell, is what 1.x is, right? That's a piece of 1.x. The, the yeah. other side of it is all of the work that we're doing on the electronic side. So the big cost drivers on the EV are electronics and batteries. That whole system is a, is a major, major piece of the pie. I think what really was awesome about Ramp It Up was that we, we really had the whole Arkhamoto family there. I mean, this was Sandy Monroe and his team. It was the team at Electric Goddess and Red of Ivis, the Stoffel Systems team, DW Fritz, who has come in to do the you know automated cell line for our 2170 pack design. It was just a great time to get really the whole tribe together and talk about the big picture. Yeah. 1.x, I mean, I noticed from the pictures that you had which i'll include as a link in this podcast but you go from something where you've got obviously the, the batteries in the sort of the main trunk of the vehicle and then the yep. front which was really quite complex and I, and it's actually interesting i didn't know if you know this but i've actually met the team who have them in new zealand very oh, randomly nice. yeah nice. yeah so i've been for a test drive so as far as i can tell that's like the only exported arkhamotos anywhere in the world and uh, no, it's not. Well, there, oh, there, there are, are some shows. others elsewhere. Yeah. 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 But it was very funny. I was walking down the street in New Zealand and I saw one and I said, you know, I don't think most people understand quite the significance of whatever that is, but I know what that is and chase them down. And then, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. The whole point there on, in terms of one X is if you look under the hood, today's Arkhamoto, it's a complex electrical system uh, yeah. with a lot of, a lot of different boxes connected together. And that's the way to do it if you're building a small number of vehicles. But when you are going to much higher volume, all that stuff's got to go co-packaged and made much more simple. And that's, I would say, the, the 1.x program, in order to get to scale, is to get that base platform to be what it is supposed to be, but to be as simple as it can be. Yeah. That was the one thing that I noticed with the vehicles that we had down in New Zealand, which as far as I understand, was some of the kind of like early or the, the early. first very, yeah, very, very early. Early. yeah yeah it was just that it was like i can see where you're trying to get to and they just seemed quite complex for what they were at the time compared to other things that i'd seen in the space but i could see that you were getting there and it was well i'm not talking about complexity of the user experience it's in terms of what the vehicle's capabilities are it's just that the complexity of the underlying electromechanical machine really that simplification process is just all about driving out 
cost and, and complexity. Totally, yeah. And I also noticed as well that the packaging, that the overall size of the packaging is a lot smaller as well in terms of the actual amount, like just the physical mass of all the parts that are going to be. What is the platform sort of shrinks, the scaffolding no longer becomes a part of that story. Yeah, yeah. It's very exciting. I'm really chuffed. And the one part that I've seen with Sandy, and I really, really would love to get him on the podcast at some point, is just to understand why is he so excited about three-wheelers? Because he is frothing on three-wheelers. And it's, I'm kind of curious, can you talk to that for him? I think he'd, he'd certainly be able to shine more light on it. But I do think he and his team definitely have that simplification mindset, hmm. right? Which is, can we take these two parts and make them one? How do we get rid of a part entirely that serves no purpose or whatever? And I think once you really experience a good three-wheeler, then you go, oh, I actually don't need a giant four-wheeled thing to do my stuff. A small, you know, very efficient three-wheeler will do the trick. So I would guess that part of it is just he's now experienced multiple three-wheel vehicles that he's helping out with, and they're great things. Yeah, absolutely. Including yours. Take me through the Mean Lean Machine, because this felt like one more thing, kind of addition to the Ramp It Up experience. We've been talking about it for a long time. I mean, this is something that's been in development since late part of 2020, Mm -hmm. when we really got rolling on it. And actually, I think it was on your podcast where you're like, yeah, well, we'll kind of let you into the micromobility category. You're like the micro heavy. You know, I was like, well, the question of how much metal do you need to go get a cup of coffee? Yes. And 4,000 pounds, way too much. Way too much. 1,300 pounds, that's still a lot of weight. So the question of the Mean Lean Machine was, can we develop a true micromobility solution, like an e-bike class thing that is just a next level ride that would get more people out of cars instead of riding a bike? Can we take away enough of the things that stop people from riding a bicycle and provide a, a really amazing experience and get people out of their cars. It is one more tool. It's the second platform. So I, I really think of that as like platform one is product one, platform two, the mean lean machine is product two. Yep. But it's also bookends where I think over the long term we want to compete, which is we've got the thing that is the appropriate amount of material that's much less than a car, and we've got the thing that is arguably the most advanced e-bike class vehicle in the world yeah well it is an e-bike it's a three-wheeler but it tilts which is interesting and nobody's really built as far as i can tell a tilting three-wheeler other than you know some of the the big front basket e-bike plays you know but even those are like they are not particularly common because they're quite expensive that sort of thing and i think that there's obviously an opportunity to to try and bring some auto level manufacturing to something like that to bring it to scale you know the piece of it that was really key to me was just that the experience of it's got to be amazing and i think that's where you know i've been thinking about tilting trikes since the beginning of arkimoto i mean it was it was was sort of known but that if we really want to get that really light ev on the road as a three-wheeler it's got to lean in order to be stable and still be able to corner well either that or you end up with a trike you think about recumbent trikes that have the rider is like five inches off the ground yeah and you're in there in between your tank controls and that's a great solution for a really tiny wedge of the market the big market wants something that is comfortable that has a great feel that is safe can carry a lot of stuff and so that's where i think the real secret sauce is in terms of the tech we acquired from tilting motorworks 
Yeah. And take me through the... So, obviously, the, the Greenlee machine doesn't have any coverings or anything like that. Is there a plan for something in that space? Oh, yeah. All kinds of accessorization down the road. And that could be anything from fairing, storage baskets, additional batteries. You could ultimately, I mean, you put a, a lightweight roof on it if you wanted to. The goal there at the moment is just to, you know, complete the product development, get the first one out. Totally. What's the time frame on that for folks who are interested? I put my pre-order in, and so I, I am also one of these people who's interested. <laughs> yeah, we want to get it out before the end of the year. Excellent. And in terms of the other things like the fairings, the roof, the potential kind of enclosed vehicles or anything like that? In, initially, lots of attachment points. But then one of the other pieces of this is that we have a number of folks that we're talking to about deliverators for fleets of vehicles doing deliveries. And when they see the Meanly Machine, several of them have said, you know, we do deliveries, some of our deliveries by e-bike. We think this would be a great product for that. When can we have ours? So yeah. the storage piece of that from an accessory standpoint will be early in the post-product launch. Cool. Awesome. One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about and one that I know you and I have talked about in the past and I wanted to kind of come back to was manufacturing security. Because the thing that... I have found interesting from your perspective has been that you've sought to manufacture your vehicles locally from the get-go. So you didn't go to a contract manufacturer. You didn't try and go to Asia to like design them in the US, build them in Asia, try to do a Foxconn equivalent or something like this for these vehicles. I'd love to hear your decision-making process around it, why you chose to do that from the get-go. And then how are you thinking? In some ways, it actually seems really prescient given kind of the geopolitical, what's happening geopolitically yeah, right I, now. <laughs> I'd love to think that I, I thought that one through, but no, I did, I did not. That was not the rationale originally. Yeah. When we got started, there were a number of other vehicle companies doing different approaches. I saw a motorcycle company in Oregon do a contract manufacturing deal with an electronics contract manufacturer, and that did not go well. And then I saw there was a Coda that had teams in the U.S. and in China trying to co-develop a vehicle. And that ended up being expensive and did not ultimately pan out. As I just sort of thought through the challenges of geographically disparate team all trying to build something together, I thought that that would be not an efficient way to do it. And then when it comes down to actually building stuff, it just struck me that one, you know, the U.S. still has you know major automotive manufacturing capabilities. So in terms of sourcing parts. I guess the only prescient part of it was just like, it always seemed like a bad idea to have, you know, boats on the water with tons of inventory in them, only to get either assembled or sold, particularly the larger it gets, yeah. the larger the product gets. And so those were what pushed me in that direction. And I think what we've ended up doing has been developed in a very capital efficient way relative to the EV market generally what we intend to be a replicable production model. Mm -hmm. So it's not that we want to build everything in Eugene and ship it out from Eugene. We want to build the model that we can then replicate that production model all over the world. Mm. I mean, again, this comes back to the sort of original micromobility thesis and why are we attracted to this is that if I remember correctly, your entire facility in, in Eugene was in the sort of tens of millions rather than the hundreds of millions. Yeah. And that model, right, of being able to go, yeah, cool, we can build a facility that can build 50,000 vehicles a year goes, yeah, that's just a far more compelling story than, for example, oh, it's a $4 billion new auto factory, for example. You can just get, you have way more flexibility, you have way more opportunities to be able to like distribute that and get it closer to your distribution and all that sort of thing. 
I mean, when you think about just from a payback on invested capital standpoint, some of the ventures out there in the car space are, you know, there's sort of these open-ended financial equations stretching out more than a decade before it starts to actually really work. Mm. And that never struck me as really a, a great sustaining way to build the enterprise. And so, you know, capital efficiency has been really important and that has definitely factored into the design of what we build and our choices about what we build. If you were to take a standard vehicle like a car, relatively new electric car, for example, that's coming out like a Tesla or something like that versus yours, my understanding is that a Tesla or just any car, you're paying a big portion of the price that you pay for the car is the depreciation of the factory. It might not be the case with Tesla because they managed to get the production facility in California for very cheap, but it certainly looks for a lot of other vehicles that the cost of the factory really factors into the cost of the vehicle. You know, well, yeah. And that's why Tesla is valued as like a technology company and not a car company. Mm. I mean, is, is one way to look at it. Although even, I mean, the, the amount of capital that has gone in to get Tesla to that point of being a sustaining enterprise was an enormous sum of money. Yes. I don't know the, the math behind what portion of that is, what portion of the sticker price of a car is depreciated, you know, sort of depreciating factory assets. And it would probably vary by manufacturer because if you're doing basically assembly and you don't have lots of giant capital equipment in there to drive that capital cost, then it's a different equation. When you look at the overall cost of the factory, obviously it's quite low. You're doing 50,000 vehicles a year and you're probably going to have a reasonable life of the, the factory. You know, I assume it would mean that you are, as, as a kind of cost per unit, it's actually quite a low percentage of actually trying to pay back the factory. Well, the point is to get it into a, basically the factory is a machine that's just churning stuff out year after year after year after year. Yeah, sure. so, so ultimately that sort of, depreciation and overhead, you want that to get as small as possible. Yeah, yeah. I hear you about the capital efficiency of that too and the fact that, you know, it's just a lot lot smaller than others in the market. I'd love to talk through funding because when we talked last time, the stock market has been very crazy for EV stocks. Been a while, right? Bananas, yeah, yeah. I mean, you 30X'd from the last time we talked and then obviously you've corrected heavily in line with other EV manufacturers. The one thing that I think about for you and going through all of this has just been, this must be quite challenge i mean yes it's like the stock price in theory shouldn't really dictate what you're doing on a day-to-day basis but like does it make it challenging for you to manage through this from a management perspective arkimoto is a long game and -hmm. i've been at it for a long time been doing it for 14 years and gone through many waves of these cycles both when we were a private company and now as a public company and so i'm definitely always trying to keep the hand on the tiller going this is where we're going. This is where we mm-hmm. said we we're going. We're going there. Yes, sometimes there are things that delay our progress, but we keep stepping forward. And I think that what I've seen, particularly of late, is just some really impressive forward movement in terms of what we are innovating on, on the fronts that we are, you know, almost all of them totally necessary to get 1x to scale. It's really cool to see it. Yeah. But a lot of our, you know, it could be our stakeholders or our, our people who are on the team, I think folks are always impacted by that little number that bounces around. It has an effect on the operations and how we plan and those sorts of things. So, but I think for me, the critical thing is just reminding everybody on a daily basis of where we're going. And when I think about Arkimoto, I just, 
I, I look at where I see the, the true potential of this business mm. and then where we sort of sit relative to our peers in the market. And I think, yeah, I just think it's a, an exciting opportunity. Totally. One of the things that, as we chatted before this call about, that wasn't always necessarily the case. Like there was a long journey where you almost died a couple of times. Probably more than I can count. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd love to just, you know, because I have a lot of entrepreneurs who I know who listen to this podcast and I know for them, the journey of trying to raise capital, especially if you're trying to do something different in hardware, especially if you're trying to do an innovation in this space, they can see the thesis that you and I can both see, which is that we cannot keep going like we are going. Climate change will not allow us to do this. We, we have to shift and rapidly decarbonize our transport sector. Micromobility is a really good opportunity to be able to do that because right-sizing the vehicle, one, good from a material perspective, two, good from an ongoing operational perspective. We can see that there's a vehicle opportunity in here. But for a lot I'm of sold. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so am I. But I also know as well that there's a challenge in being able to raise that capital. And you probably have been on that journey longer than almost anybody I know. Can you kind of, one, share some stories, war battle stories of being in the trenches trying to do this? And then two, I would love to hear your reflections on where we're at now. And what would you say to young entrepreneurs who are trying to build something? Well, that's a lot of questions all in one. You know, to me, I, I think the broader context is that we are recognizing, I mean, and, and really, I think what was one of the factors a couple of years ago when things started to go crazy in the market was mm. there are oceans of capital out there that are starting to recognize in a serious way that we have a five alarm fire in terms of how we are treating this planet. And we got to make big moves and we got to make them right now. Mm-hmm. It has been very encouraging to me to see micromobility companies get funded and go off and make very cool solutions for for various different pieces of the puzzle. And I think that's probably what, to talk to somebody who is an entrepreneur in the space, I think now is a good time to be an entrepreneur in the emerging transportation space. You got a lot more tools available. I mean, just even thinking about somebody who wants to start with our platform technologies, this is, I didn't mean this as a sales pitch, but there is now a company out there called Arkimoto that's willing to sell you a vehicle platform and help you with your dreams if they are, if it all can be made amenable. Yep. And that didn't exist in that way when I started the company. But I think now there's just a lot, there are a lot more tools, not just the stuff we're doing, but there are a lot more tools available for really interesting approaches to transportation. Mm-hmm. As far as like, you know, stories from back in the day, it has been getting Arkimoto through each of the gates has been a, certainly a non, non-trivial exercise. And a lot of times the solutions through, I would just keep trying everything I could do to get through to the next step. And then in the times where I would just sort of like, I don't know what to do, then the solution would appear. And I mean, this is even stuff as random as a guy with his family on vacation walks into our shop back when we were on Blair Street and they were looking for lunch. And he's like, oh, what is this? Because we had one of our early prototypes out there. He's, (laughs) He's like... I think you guys are going in the right direction. This could be, you know, next Tesla. Yeah. And ultimately ended up investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in the company and got us to the next level. I mean, it was he was responsible for getting generation six on the road. I would say that's the part of it that I think has been most encouraging to me is that there are more and more people out there who recognize the severity of the problem that we face and are willing to put their chips on the table to make it happen. 
Mm, mm. It's both wonderful and terrible to hear that that was how the fundraising happened. Only in the sense of, I think about the importance of what I think we are trying to do in micromobility and that it should be that there would be capital like throwing itself at like, oh yeah, you, you we can see that there's this amazing opportunity and yet it has been such a challenge for organizations like yourself to be able to raise. I would definitely agree that that's sort of the sad part of it is that particularly getting up to this point, having it be, you know, really you think this is something we've got to culturally reboot. So that means, you know, just the might of governments and you think about all of the pension funds that are there constituted to provide for the people they're taking care of ought to be taking a real strong look at what's the world they're taking care of those people into. But it's everyone. It's like, and, and I think the more, what, what has given me a lot of heart along the way are just that it seems like more and more and more people are willing to really pitch in. That's cool. Mm. I wanted to kind of ask, obviously you've come, as you say, 14 years, you've, it's been a long journey for you. What's the point at which you feel like you'll be able to sleep at night knowing that Akimoto isn't going to die or that you'll have achieved the mission. I mean, is it sort of, what's the point at which you think, oh, okay, we're, we're out of the woods? <laughs> I think there's no, uh, well, the mission, the successful completion of the mission is we're out of the woods, yes. right? That's the point at which, all right, guys, we're done. You know, you can hang up your hats and we solved the big problem. When you think about really the, a real reboot of transportation, not just its electrification, but like really right-sizing how we get around and what that will do to the cities that we live in and what that will, what the community experience of that will be and certainly what we have got to do to preserve life as we know it on this planet. It's such a big, it's just such a big set of changes that I, I just kind of have to look at it incrementally, you know, what's, yeah. what's the next one, the next gate that we're getting through. You know, I'll be out of the woods when we've got 1X platforms cranking out the door, yep. you know, a thousand a month. But that's a thousand a month is, I mean, that's a it's tiny, like tiny little drop. Yeah, totally. It's the big problem. So what helps me rest easy at night is just knowing that I work alongside a super kick-ass team of people who are pushing every single day to take this thing to the next level. Yeah. At some point you do everything you can do and then you just allow the universe to unfold as it will yeah well it sounds like the universe has been nudging you along and wanting you to be able to continue by sending you it, random it people <laughs> who are looking it for has, food it, has, it just it hasn't ever let me quit yeah you know it's just like all right well i guess i better keep on going yeah yeah one thing that i didn't ask on the last podcast and i've always wanted to ask is how do you think about competition in this space like do you think with going for a lighter three-wheeled vehicle like you are doing what you're doing that you will ever see any competition from the incumbents? Is that something that you worry? Um, when I, and when I say incumbents, I'm talking about the GMs, the Chryslers, the, the, the larger auto manufacturers trying to go for your breakfast if they see it taking off? I think in some sense, we've got to just keep building the very best things that we possibly can and continue our pace of innovation and our pace of production. And if we inspire other companies to mend their errant ways, and make smaller things, I think that's probably a net very good thing for the planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. And again, hats off to you for continuing to build in this space and keep on going. And I'm looking forward to checking out, hopefully we will have, I hope, the Mean Lean Machine and the Akimoto at the Micromobility Conference upcoming that we have in the US. So we'll be able to hopefully have you there as well. So it'll be great. We'll have some cool stuff to show. And I, I think that's the other piece of it is, I mean, just being able to 
ride in Arkhamoto every day, it provides a certain level of joy that really, I think, is always a confirmation that we're moving in the right direction. Yep. Yep. Excellent. Hey, well, Mark, thank you so much for your time as always. I really appreciate it. And I know that there'll be a lot of people here who are very excited to get an update on on what's been going on. I know there's a number of us who follow what you're doing quite closely. So hats off to you and looking forward to having you on again in the future. Thanks a lot, Oliver. Great to catch up, man. Cool. Enjoy yourself. Will do. See you.